For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we have got on a very special guest. This is Jedediah Bila. She is the author of the new book, Dear Hartley. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And I love your name. You know, with a name like Jedediah, I'm always drawn to different names. Zuby is such a cool name. Yeah, <laughs> Jedediah it. is a, it's a really unique name, actually. I haven't, I don't think... I know anyone besides yourself who has that name, so the feeling yeah, my, is mutual. My mom is a, a former actress and director, so the names get interesting in our family. <laughs> ah, okay, okay. Yeah. Well, let's let's start there. Let's uh, let's go let's go way back. Tell us a little bit about your uh, about your story. Yeah, so I mean, I grew up in New York City to a very middle class family. Um, Dad was a stamp and coin dealer. Mom taught acting classes out of our living room. And from a very young age, you know, my family really talked about the importance of balancing budgets. And, you know, we had to save up for that vacation every year. And we had a lot of really good conversations. Everyone in my family kind of saw the world differently. So I was very mm -hmm. lucky that I learned how to sit at a dinner table, for example, and debate issues and talk about things and be really comfortable with people who saw the world differently from me. So that was a, a wonderful advantage that I had growing up. But um, I got into teaching for a while. I taught middle school through college. So learned a lot of important lessons from the kids there. Learned a lot about what was going on in the school system, though, which made me concerned because it seemed like there was one way of thinking that was accepted. I actually wrote my first book. It wasn't even intended to be a book. It was called Outnumbered. It was about being a private school teacher in New York City during the 2008 presidential election and just watching the indoctrination that was going on in schools. It was it was mind blowing for me. You read about that stuff. But when you see it right there live and you see kids echoing talking points and you see, oh, certain logo T-shirts are allowed and certain pins are allowed in school and others you get scolded for. And that was kind of when my television career started. I started writing. Um, I, I wound up reviewing Mark Levin's book, Liberty and Tyranny, because I liked it. He got hold of the review and read the review on air and it kind of blew up. And, mm. you know, I'm not a journalist. I'm not a politico. I didn't grow up in a political family. I didn't grow up in a family where people had a lot of money by any stretch of the imagination or any fancy connections. But I was just a regular girl with an opinion. Um, I went through, you know, got my master's at Columbia and did that whole academic journey. But really what I wound up valuing in my life were practical skills, um, health. I had a pretty intricate health and wellness journey and freedom, really mm. freedom for people to make their own decisions about their own lives, 
freedom of expression, uh, diversity of thought, the ability to be in a place and say how you feel and not feel threatened by someone mm -hmm. else's opinion. So all of these values kind of built into me along the way. And it wasn't really until I had a baby that I got extra passionate about it, where I was like, you know what? <laughs> these kids are growing up in a world now where they're so sheltered in so many ways, where they you know, flee to a safe space. They can't you know, handle a conversation where someone sees the world differently. They're being trained that that it's okay to feel like they need to retreat somewhere instead of standing up for who they are and what they believe in that. And especially now with what's going on in the world with the mandates and whatnot, that I just, mm. I got extra driven to kind of stand up in a way that I don't think I felt that internal push, even though I was in the TV world for a long time, I had strong opinions. I don't think I felt that internal push the same way until I had a little person that I had made out in the world. And I, I just <laughs> wanted to protect things for him. So mm. that's where I'm at now. No doubt. I hear that. Why do you think that concepts such as embracing diversity of thought and liberty and freedom themselves, even in a country like the USA, which is supposed to be the bastion of freedom and still is in many ways, but how do you think we've come to a time where those concepts seem controversial and you've even got the president of your own country uh, making statements that are very directly anti-liberty, saying, look, this isn't about your freedom, this isn't about your choice. Um, that strikes me as not just anti-American, but anti-Western in terms mm -hmm. of values. So, And that's also echoing the sentiment of millions of people around the USA, UK, Canada, Australia, uh, Western Europe, all of these countries that are supposed to be free countries but it seems that now if you advocate for freedom and, and liberty and for people to be able to make their own basic choices, you are somehow the bad guy. How have we gotten here? Well, I think fear is a very powerful weapon to utilize. Um, fear utilized through the press in particular. You know, when you have a union of big tech and big pharma and big media and, and you have all of these very powerful people kind of unified in one message. And there's a lot of people that have a lot to gain from people being afraid. You know, there are politicians that have a lot to gain because that's how they stay in power. There's pharmaceutical companies that have a lot to gain because that's how they make money. So I think fear is an incredible weapon. Now, why do people allow themselves to get so afraid? Well, I think there's a creeping normality of submission that happens in academia from very young. There's kids from a very young age now that are very comfortable and becoming more and more comfortable with being indoctrinated. So not mm -hmm. asking questions, not pushing back. Whatever the teacher says is how it is. Fear of, you know, getting a bad grade if you say, well, wait a minute, but is this true? I mean, now you have a whole society of people that instead of challenging the status quo, instead of coming out and asking questions, which is what everyone should do. I don't care what comes out, a product, a, te a technological device, whatever it is, we should be asking first and foremost, is this good for me? Anyone who stops you from asking questions, you need to question even more. But now there's this impulse to not ask as if it's a bad thing to question. I mean, even with these mandates. Mm -hmm. So I think that kids, you know, are inculcated with this new you know, just fall in line ideology. Then they go through college. That gets reinforced even more. They come out into this world. And there, there's a lot of sheep out there. I hate to say it. A lot of people mm -hmm. that are really comfortable being told what to do. And there's a lot of belief in authority. 
as if authority somehow now we're supposed to believe that Bill de Blasio and Gavin Newsom know more about what's best for your health than you and your own doctor. I mean, this Mm -hmm. is bizarre what's going on. But my question is, where is everyone's common sense? You know, you know your body. You've been through a lot with your body. Say, you know, I'm 42 years old. We've been through a lot. I had Lyme disease. I had COVID. I had acid reflux when I was younger. I've been through it. I know my body better than anyone. I have a team of trusted doctors that are also people that I consult. If they tell me something, I'm going to listen with open ears and an open heart much more than some bureaucrat, be it a corporate bureaucrat Mm. or a political bureaucrat who doesn't know anything about me and doesn't know my medical history at all. So I think there's this sense now in society that we forget to just step back and just think, just think, that's all be willing to kind of push back and ask hard questions. And when there is a case, I don't care who it is that wants you to sit down and shut up, whether that's, you know, an educational institution or whatever it may be, a politician, a corporation, ask why. Why can't you ask a question about something that stands to affect you, your family, your children? Um, So I would start with school as that being the main reason why people are now so complacent. That's that's interesting. Yeah, I've said many times before that if there's any so-called expert on any subject, it doesn't matter what it is, any honest expert doesn't just invite questions, doesn't just tolerate questions, but they, they invite them, right? If I write a book, we've both written books, right? If someone asks you a question about some of the content in your book or wants you to explain something in more detail, the notion that you'd become angry at them or uh, tell them that they should that they should shut up or give them a label or try to dodge the question. I mean, that doesn't exactly suggest to me that you are an honest actor, nor that you're an expert, right? If I go to the doctor, you said you you've got you work with doctors, you've got doctors. If your doctor wanted to prescribe a medication or saying something, you ask them a question. Okay, what are the potential side effects? Does it do this? How much do I take? Whatever, and they're like, no, just shut up and take it. You'd be like. Wait, (laughs) you'd be like, let me find a new doctor because that's crazy. Of course, of course, you would that would you would think that would be the instinct. And I think there is a segment of the population for whatever reason that still has that like, well, wait a minute. You know, they push back a little bit, Mm. but there's just too many people who I think have become really comfortable with being told what to do. And that's bad. I mean, you don't want Mm. your kid. You want your kids to, you know, if they go to school and something happens in that school that doesn't feel right, you want them to be able to raise their hand and say, wait, hold on a second. You want them to be able to stand up for themselves, regardless Mm. of the topic at hand. And that doesn't mean it has to be combative or, or, or nasty or uncivil, but it does mean that it has to be strong. And if you're grounded in facts and you're grounded in what's right for you, then you have to be able to stand up for yourself. So if we're not raising Mm -hmm. kids to be able to do that, what are we even doing? anymore. Absolutely. What was your time like when you were a teacher? You said that you experienced some crazy stuff there. So can you go into that in a little more detail? Yeah, it was wild. Um, It was a wild experience because like I said, I had read a lot about, you know, academic bias and I had lived that a little bit. Um, I remember teaching in college and having, um, oh God, I remember putting like cute little signs on my door that were marginally political and having another teacher complain about them and and get upset and nasty. And then I turned around and looked at her door and it was just all politics. I mean, slogans. I mean, it was just the double standard was extraordinary. And I started to realize, wow, 
there's just certain people in society who feel they're entitled to express their opinions openly. But if you do the same, somehow they get to say they're offended and remove your voice from the mm -hmm. equation. I think, though, what was most concerning for me was teaching young kids, like I said, teaching grades seven, eight, nine, ten, and just watching what was happening in those schools. You know, you had assembly halls that are supposed to be completely apolitical that had an enormous political bent. I remember during the 2008 presidential election, you know, deans and administrators asking students who they were going to who they would vote for in this mock election. And they had okay. to raise their hand. And the kids, you know, that raised their hand for Obama always a loud, you know, round of applause. And the ones who didn't, oh, what are you doing? You know, a, a moment mm -hmm. to ostracize them and make them feel bad. And I just looked out mm -hmm. and thought, what a horrible model for an educational system where you're supposed to learn how to think for yourself and how, you know, a place where all opinions are supposed to be debated and horrible. This was a high school, you know, a, a grade school. Um, you know, I had students openly. I actually started... I left that um, that job and, and immediately went to TV after, but I had started writing a little bit while I was there. And I remember that my politics were a problem, but other teachers' politics weren't a problem. So the enormous double standard that it almost became really interesting to observe this double standard. And I realized that if you were a kid and you were highly impressionable and you were growing up in a world where you were taught this way of thinking gets rewarded and this way gets punished, this way of thinking has the support of all of the teachers and administrators, but this one does not, what would that impact on a student or a child be? Um, so my passion for education actually, interestingly enough, became stronger and bigger when I left that system because I felt oh, like I can this is wild what I'm seeing, but I can almost make a bigger difference talking about this and trying to fix it from the outside. I wasn't going to fix it from the inside of that particular school. It was a very, I know the word woke is everywhere. This was a woke school. <laughs> this was a yeah. Manhattan, very liberal institution, but it was very eye-opening because it's, it's mm. sometimes when you see that stuff personal, you know, up close and personal, I think it registers differently than just something you read about in a book or someone else has experienced. Yeah, it's really interesting. And you, you mentioned a word there that I've been thinking about a lot and have put some comments about recently, which is the word liberal, which mm -hmm. has deviated so far from its proper meaning that I think that about 80 to 90 percent of the time I hear it used, especially by Americans, it's not really being used correctly. I'm like, that's not like that's not that's not liberal. There's nothing liberal about what people who label themselves with that title have been doing, not just throughout this pandemic situation, but even prior to it, right? Like yeah. if you're talking about actual, uh, you're all right, let, let's take these, these, these words that people like to say, diversity, tolerance, openness, you know, kindness, treating people fairly and equally. Um, I'm seeing people who label themselves as, label, as liberal who are anti-free speech, pro-censorship, pro-lockdown, pro-mask mandate, pro-forced medication, pro-segregation, pro-racism, pro all, pro all kinds of things that fly in the face of liberalism. I mean, even this uh, unholy alliance that's happening with um, big tech, big pharma, big media, and then people calling themselves liberal. I'm like, wait, hang on. How, how did you become a foot soldier? for Moderna and Pfizer. <laughs> right. And you're right. Like, right. 
like right. what's happened here? Yeah. Yeah. I also, by the way, as a side note, went through six flu seasons in those schools and never once mm. had a meeting about masks, never once had a meeting about hazards to children. And we know that the flu presents uh at least mm. as great of, if not greater, challenges to children than COVID, to children than COVID nineteen. Yep. But you know, you talk about labels, and I wrote, I, I took a chapter in Dear Hartley, and I dedicated it to labels, because what does it even mean anymore? You know, I mean, I have people. You know, I look at people; they're calling themselves conservatives, and they're like, "Well, I full on support mandates." Really? Well, then you're not a conservative. What does that even mean? That that's not a conservative mm. principle that you're you're <laughs> you want to be able to tell everyone else what to do. Yeah. It's it's interesting because it's it it it's not either one. It's not conservative nor liberal. Right. Right. That's Supporting right. that type of mandate or lockdown or whatever. I'm like that flies both in the face of proper liberalism, and it also <laughs> flies right in the face of proper conservatism. Right. It's like I don't want to use the term fascism because it's like it's been so over it's been so overused. Right. But it's certainly very authoritarian. It's authoritarianism. That's what it is. Right. It's tyranny. It's tyranny. And it's also so now I when I confront people and I meet them, I don't ask them, are you conservative? Are you Republican? Are you Democrat? These things mean nothing to me anymore. What I say is, tell me what you believe. Tell me what you stand for on the issue of X, Y and Z. Where do you stand? Because that will tell me more. If you open your mouth in the first five seconds and you say, oh, yeah, I support (laughs) mandates and I'm against school choice. Okay, got it. Figured it out, Jed, you know. Jed, Jed, you're supposed to be asking them if they're vaccinated. It's 2021. Oh, you got to get forget. with the program. This, this is this is the most important thing that you must know about someone right off the bat. Is are you vaccinated? And that's interesting too. That we're now in a time. I just had a conversation with a good friend of mine <laughs> about privacy. And mm-hmm. it used to be that privacy was a thing, you know, your your private health matters. Now it's like privacy is dead along with chivalry and, you know, <laughs> empathy and all the other. It's just ridiculous. You Now it's like you, you're just wa- in order to eat a sandwich in a restaurant in New York City. I have to show a vaccination card. I mean, this is not the ways this is not the ways of a you know, a, a free world, but this also not the ways of a sane world because you mm. don't mandate a vaccine for a virus that even if you're vaccinated, you can still get and spread. I mean, let's just use common sense. That's all I ask of people. And I don't care. Listen, people want to get the vaccine. People don't want to get the vaccine. That's your personal choice. Like I said, go to your doctor, have a conversation. You know your body. doesn't matter to me. But these things, mm-hmm. these policies, if they're not grounded in some kind of science or common sense, and they're just plain discriminatory, I think it, it behooves all of us to sit back and say, well, wait a minute, this just doesn't make sense. Which yes. goes again back to what you said before about asking questions. And this, this, the second you say anything, oh, you're anti-vax, what are you even talking about? I'm, ta- yeah. I'm empowering you to make these decisions for yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm empowering you to have the freedom to make a different decision than maybe I would or someone else would. Um, sanity is going down the drain. What can I say? Yeah, yeah. Something that I've really, really learned in the past two years as someone who's been very vocal on all this stuff since March 2020, is that people will get mad at you for fighting for their rights. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely right? true. People get angry at you for you're not you're not trying to infringe on anybody's rights. You are you might you myself. We are trying to defend people's rights. You want to wear a mask? God bless you. You can wear a mask. You know what? You don't want to. That's <laughs> right. cool. You you want to take a shot? You want to take two? You want to take three? Go ahead. Like. That, that's up to you. We've all got different situations. I'm not in the same demographic as you. I don't care about your medical history. That's really not my business, um, right. just like mine isn't anyone else's. So I'm 
we're simply advocating freedom, right? Freedom, like, hey, it's it's up to you. And I must say, I must say that it is hilarious and also disturbing that people who, again, for all these years have labeled themselves pro-choice. Right. When it comes to uh, <laughs> pretty much everything else but not are this. very, very anti-choice. Not a, not yeah. vaccination for, I mean, it's just ridiculous. And, you know, it's interesting because I think I think my, my story is a little bit interesting on the issue of fear because mm. fear has been utilized by politicians. But what's interesting about it is, for me, I really get it because I bought into it. I When I got COVID, I, you know, this is about 19 months ago we're going, so a year okay. and a half. So this is right when the pandemic started. I had a four-month-old baby. Mm. I had, you know, just stopped nursing him. I was out of the hospital. I was on my maternity leave. I was terrified when this virus hit New York City. I was that person. I was reading mm. headlines. I was out of work because I was on maternity leave. At the time, there were no treatments. You couldn't get into a doctor's office. You couldn't get a test. It was a very different time than now when we have a lot of treatments and we have a lot of information. But all I was doing was reading news headlines, and they scared the heck out of me because I had this little baby at home that all I wanted to do was protect. So I was that person, and it took me a little bit of time, honestly, to get Mm. out of that head, open my eyes. And it wasn't until I started visiting schools and seeing, wait a minute, this is able to be done. It wasn't until I was getting blood tests done. And so, wait a minute, my natural immunity is sticking. It wasn't until I was reading up studies on masks and reading up what was going on and saying, well, hold on a second, this is counterintuitive to common sense, that I saw that, you know, policies in schools were being dictated by teachers unions and not safety. These were all things that opened my eyes. So I get it. I get how the politics of fear works because I I was falling right into that trap because of what Mm. was happening in my life at the time. And having this little baby, and I always say to my husband, I think I would have looked at this so differently if I didn't have this little person to protect at the time. But sure, the problem is, is that too many people have stayed in that world. Like now we have information. When you know better, do better, right? We know about mm. masks. <laughs> we know about schools and, and safely reopening. We know about natural immunity. We know what's mm. happening here. There are studies after studies after studies. So now that we have this information, you can't just pretend like you're still in the dark. That's not helpful to anyone. But I do understand the power of fear because even me, someone who is suspect of media, someone who is suspect of authority, someone who does ask tough questions, who comes out of, you know, understands how academia and politicians and this whole system works, even I, for a Mm. second and more than a second, actually, if I'm being honest, fell prey to that. So I get Mm. it. I really, really get it. How was your uh, how was your experience with the virus itself out of interest? So I was, you know, I was sick for like a week, um, mm. regular, you know, symptoms of, you know, f- fever. I, I did get tested. I was able to get a test. So I got a, mm. a positive test. I knew I had COVID, um, which mm. was a challenge in and of itself to get that test. But had, you know, fever um, that came and went for a couple of days, had um, body aches, had sore throat that would cut co- symptoms would come and go very quickly. But at the end of a week, I felt Actually, it was a little less than a week. I felt fine. And then I did Mm. have for a couple of months, and I attribute this a lot to the fact that I wasn't sleeping because I had this new baby who wasn't sleeping, but I had some stuff that would come and go, like my temperature would feel weird. And I'd be like, what's going on? Um, My lungs for like a couple of months when I would run or when I would be super active because I'm an athlete, I'd be like, they're Mm. not quite right. All of my tests would check out normal, but you know, you know your body. So it took my body a couple of months to feel exactly 
exactly as it had before. Um, but overall, I was, you know, anyone who looked at me, any doctor who looked at me in that time was like, you're great, you know, but as I said, you know, your body, right? My Mm -hmm. fitness was not up to where it had been. I, you know, I needed to get the proper amount of sleep. And I think, as you know, and I know you're, you talk a lot about health and you care a lot about real genuine health. So Mm. the way, the state your body is in when these things hit you makes a big difference. I was in a really bad, you know, bad sleep schedule, you know have a new baby, you're not eating properly. So I think all of that was probably the reason truthfully that I one of the reasons that I was symptomatic at all. But overall, it was not terribly unpleasant for me, if I'm being honest. Um, my yeah. my son had it, he was four months mm-hmm. old, he got a little bit of eczema, it went away. That was all he didn't he laughed through the whole thing, not even a sniffle. Mm-hmm. My husband had it, he was sick for like three hours. Jeremy is not a worrier. <laughs> so that came yeah, to his yeah. aid. Now he was a couple of yeah. days and he was fine. But we were very lucky. Um, mm-hmm. But what I came out of that feeling was like, had I been deceived a little, you know, what was going mm. on? Like, okay, what what's happening here exactly? And I started to immediately question. Uh, but it did take me a while. You know, I had elderly parents that I was like, how course, worried sure. do I need to be about them? So mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. politics of fear was a very powerful weapon. And the only reason I bring up myself is because people know me as a media figure that questions. But if I can even fall into that, think about someone who's maybe not inclined to question, you know? Oh, absolutely. Look, I think, um, you know, for the first couple months, like, I think I'm one of the rare people who from the beginning was like, ah, something's not right. And I don't (laughs) want, I don't, I don't, I don't own a television. I was not watching. Good for you. I was was not getting bombarded with all of the propaganda and fake videos out of China and stuff like that. And I was just like, wait, this, something's not Someone here is not adding up and it's not right. And then, as, again, as time went on, it's like, okay, well, everyone's not dropping dead around me or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it just it, from early on, it didn't add up. And then, of course, by summer, like the huge amount of contradictions and flip flopping and stuff like that had started to happen. And you were getting data out of different countries. It was like, okay, you know, look, you know, if you're over 60 and you have some comorbidities, then this is a this is right. a threat and it's a it's a potential concern, you know, Um But if you are relatively young and healthy, sure, it is possible that you're going to have a really bad time with it, just as you could with a flu or anything else. But the probability of it is really, really, really low. And another thing, another reason why I also wasn't scared is because, like, especially given it being a coronavirus, I was also like, uh, most people are going to eventually get it. I was like, I was like, there's no way I'm not going to get it. Like, it's impossible. <laughs> right. the, the, right. I, I, I accepted at the beginning. I was just like, I'm going to get it. Right. Like the yeah. amount I travel, the thousands and thousands of people I meet and I'm like a hugger and I'm just like in the gym. <laughs> and I'm doing, I was like, of course, of course, I'm going to get it. And similar to you, I, I got it when I was run down. I got it January this year. Right. I was yeah. run down. I was sleeping really, really badly. That'll um, do it. I wasn't I wasn't exercising, training, eating as well as usual. And then, bam. That's when it hit me. And also, like yourself, within a week, I was in and out within a week. Um, So that was it. But I think it's interesting because I think because of what they've done in the media and in politics is I think for a lot of people, and maybe this was your experience, is that the fear, it's almost like the, the psychological fear of getting it or having it for many, many people is worse than the virus itself. Because they've right, they've they've sold it almost like airborne Ebola. So people are so terrified to this day. 
people are, haven't like accepted that, okay, I'm probably going to get this thing at some point in my life. It's just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I have to do everything and try to control everybody else to stop myself from even to stop myself from even potentially getting it. And to me, it's like, it's like trying to live your whole life trying to never get a cold. You know, maybe right. you can, but it's out there, you know. Uh, you know, and I think one of the differences was that back then, we actually thought if we did control everyone else, it would matter, right? You were mm. getting messages that like once the vaccine came out, you were thinking, at least I was thinking, I should say, okay, mm. my parents want to get the vaccine. They've spoken to their doctors. It's a decision they're making. Then I don't have to worry about them. But that's not mm. what's happening. If you look at, you know, there's a lot of breakthrough infections that are happening. You can't ignore that, right? You cannot ignore that. You know that people who've been vaccinated can still get sick. They can still transmit mm. virus. You know, you look at the degrees of sickness and many will look at studies and say it prevents severity of illness. It prevents death. And, so, and that's probably true in some people. Mm. Um, you know, we a couple of weeks ago, I put a tweet out and I said, I know, I think it was five people at the time. It's more like six or seven that now that have COVID. Mm. Most of them are vaccinated. I mean, this is just a reality. So I think as time passed, you became more and more accepting of the fact that no matter what, vaccinated, not vaccinated, odds are you're going to get mm. it, right? You're going to get yep. it. And, and you have to, for me, it became about build your body up, right? Mm -hmm. Because the last time when this hit me, I wasn't in a good state. So the first thing yeah. I tell people is like, I have a friend, for example, in New York City, who has not gotten COVID yet. How I don't know. He's been out everywhere. <laughs> he goes to these, we go, the second the gyms reopened, he was in the gym. He's very social. He's, you know, every house parties, you know, all yeah. this stuff. He's not vaccinated. No COVID. <laughs> you know, so yep. him, listen, you didn't get it great, but just arm your body, get your sleep, take your supplements, you know, so that whatever, you know, you encounter in life, you'll have a good shot at, you know, you want to build mm. this body. So that was a big lesson. And I just get really frustrated because I see that people who supposedly care about health, I mean, they, they told everybody to stay in their houses and trap them away from vitamin D, away from fresh air. For a virus, uh, for a virus that spreads indoors. Indoors, right. So indoors. then let's think about that. I mean, what kind of – and people can say, well, you know, people's knowledge of what was happening evolved. Okay, I'll give a little bit of credit there. But you know what? It went on way too long. We knew that it was safe to reopen schools and months and months and months yeah. passed where kids suffered at home. So it would be mm -hmm. one thing if the second you knew something, like guess what? We know natural immunity is a thing. CDC mm -hmm. is trying to cover it up. So if they came out and said, listen, months ago, we know this is a thing. If you've had COVID-19, you don't need to rush to get vaccinated. Let's make this a program for those who are most vulnerable in society. People would have much more respect for them as an institution. Mm -hmm. That's not what's happening. So mm -hmm. I think that also has led to a real distrust in, in the medical establishment at large. Because people feel mm -hmm. like, what is this all about? It doesn't seem to be about health. Where is the talk of fitness and real food? Where is the talk of comorbidities? And where is the ability to say I was wrong and make corrections when we know better? We don't see that mm -hmm. happening at all. No, I've, that's one thing I've really noticed. I don't think I've heard anyone, any yeah. official or expert say I was wrong or we made a mistake. What they say now is the science changed. Yeah, convenient. Science changed. Yeah. <laughs> convenient. <laughs> Whether you're talking masks or you're right. talking, uh, you know, I mean, the, literally your president said that if you take if you take the vaccine, you're not going to get COVID. He said that fact. The CDC director, uh, Rachel Walensky, also said if you take the vaccine, you are not going to get COVID and you are not going to spread it. She said that. This is just a fact. It's there. The video is out there. And then they want to come and scream at me or other people for so-called 
spreading misinformation when we're simply asking questions or trying to get to the truth or pointing out some of these inconsistencies and huge elephants in the room that are being ignored or glossed over. And it's like, okay, look, you know, and look, maybe part of this is, um, I think something that's interesting that's happened over the past year and a half or so is that it's really highlighted a lot of existing problems in our society from obesity and people being in poor health and countries with high obesity rates have been generally hit much harder. Like it's highlighted that, which again, we're not allowed to talk about. Um, But it's also highlighted the pandemic of cowardice, the pandemic of dishonesty and people being disingenuous. And I think part of the reason why, and maybe we as a society need to think about this deeply, is I think part of the reason why people are so unwilling to change course or admit error is because we've been living in this time for many years, over the past decade, there's been this culture of people being um, really, what's the right word? I guess like ungracious, right? Mm -hmm. Almost like Mm -hmm. people are not allowed. I mean, look at cancel culture, right? That's people not being gracious. It's not being able to say, oh, you know what? I made a mistake. Like I'm bad. No, it's like anyone, you punish people for making a mistake. You punish people for telling the truth. You put whatever it is, punish, punish, punish. It can't just be like, oh, you know what? Like, okay, you were misled for a while. I'm not going to like jump on you and attack you and call you names or whatever. I'll be like, yeah, it's cool. Okay. We all make a mistake. Like just correct it. Right. Don't right. just keep going down this running off this cliff, even though you've been told, Hey, the, the cliff, the cliff is there. And you're just like, no, I'm right. already, I'm, I'm committed to this run. I'm going to keep on going. And people are like, yo, like, can you not see the edge there? But so many people don't want to reverse course on anything now. They're so stuck in this narrative that they'd rather just continue to be wrong than go, you know what? My bad. Okay. It wasn't, it wasn't exactly what I thought it was or something changed right. or there's new, new data has come out. New evidence has come out, which has changed my mind. It's just double down, triple down, quadruple down. Yeah. And I think that's why I bring up that change that happened in me because it, it's part of human nature to sometimes make mistakes. Like we all make mistakes. We all change our mind about things. We all, and I, I, I included that actually when I wrote to your Hartley it's a series of lessons and letters and to my son. And I said, one of the things I say to him is you're going to make a bunch of mistakes. When you figure out that you've made a mistake, don't be afraid to say, Hey, I was wrong. You know, when you do something wrong, don't be afraid to say, Hey, I'm sorry. You know, these are little things that go a long way and it's not, you know, it, it only serves to be a better reflection on you that you're willing to look at data, look at evidence, look at what's transpired, self reflect and become a better person on the other end of it. But I mean, you know, they were offering donuts to people like, hey, get get vaccinated and you'll get a donut. And, you know, I actually I, I went through like, can can I really con- I, I need to say something about this because <laughs> you know what? It, it will arm your body to not eat that donut it, just in case mm-hmm. you get covid, which we know you still can get even if you're vaccinated, you know, have a salad, you know, like have a have a grass fed burger. You know, like I I'm very passionate about oh, you food. could you, you could. You could have got a free burger. You're in New York. Grass fed. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. Grass fed. <laughs> you know, like I'm very passionate about food and health, and that that actually came to me when when I had my Lyme disease, and I realized your body's really a machine, and the way it reacts mm. to stimuli is very much within your control. But 
I guess what I've want, you know, the silver lining that I was hoping everyone would get out of this, this horrible pandemic, we know a lot of people died, was that, hey, I need to, to own my own life. Like I need to, I'm not going to be able to always determine what comes my way. Something like COVID, you know, it, you could have been sitting in the house and never leaving your house and only on a case, you still could have wound up getting it somehow. You, oh, you'd, yeah. you'd have contact with one person, game over. So I wanted people to feel empowered, like, hey, you know what? If I exercise, if I get outside and get some sunshine, if I eat well, if I take the right supplements, I can create an environment that's inhospitable to that stuff, that bad stuff. Mm -hmm. That's what I wanted. And I also had hoped that they would come out and say, this is my body. This is my health. I want ownership of what happens to it. No one's going to tell me what to do. And I've noticed that there has been a shift. I do see a lot of people, you know, even if they opted for the vaccine or if they trend more toward believing that that's the route that should be taken, that's fine with me. That's your personal decision. I see a lot of those people coming out now and saying, well, hold on a second, just because I made that choice doesn't mean that's the right choice for someone else. You know, I personally and I, you know, I shared this recently. I have a medical exemption to the vaccination from three physicians because of my own medical history that I won't get into in detail, but I have a medical exemption coupled with very high immunity that's now 19 months out. I'm not a candidate for this vaccine. So what's good for someone else is not good for me. And I want people to understand, like, there is no one-size-fits-all approach to anything when it comes to your health. It doesn't work. Everybody is different. We come with different genetic predispositions. We come with different baggage. Some of us sleep well. Some of us don't. Some of us mm-hmm. encountered X, Y, and Z in our childhood. Know your body. Own your body. And own those decisions. Because when you don't have your health, you have nothing. Nothing. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. was the very powerful message I had hoped people would get out. I didn't see it across the board. But I'm still hopeful. <laughs> I'm still oh, hopeful. you got to have hope. Without hope, yeah. there's nothing. I mean, look. For people who struggle with this point, I like I like peanut butter, but if I were to mandate peanut butter, that would be genocide. That's right. That's absolutely right. right. Something as simple as a peanut. And pharmaceuticals are far more complicated than a peanut. The same medicine that saves one person's life or helps one person can literally harm, kill, or disable another person. So the notion that any medical intervention or procedure should be mandatory um people are not thinking are not, are not are not thinking that through this this one size fits all thing is it it's also really weird because that's typically not even done within the medical field it's just like with this one particular thing people think no, it's, it's true. one size fits all oh i've um, had but, see, i've had a yeah. number of do- i mean my exemption's been denied like it's been very hard for me to work in the television mm. industry because they just flat out deny it without even reading that it's written up by an infectious disease specialist and it's backed up by three physicians who know me and know my body. Not that I should have to give this information to anyone because privacy should exist, but I'm willing because of the times that Mm. we're in. Um, But there's many doctors right now who are saying, I mean, I I spoke with a doctor a couple of weeks ago who said he had a patient who he had said was not a candidate for the vaccine. The gentleman said, listen, I need to work, so I'm going to take my chances, and got anaphylaxis from the first shot. And guess what happened? The company said, all right, well, you need to get a second one. And the doctor said he could die. Like, I am not it's authorizing no, this. It's- so this is going on, and it's. I understand that companies have, you know, they're worried about, you know, legal this and that. But if we're going to make this about health, 
then we need to account for people who have accommodations, for people who have other stuff going on, and just acknowledge, listen, I'm anti-mandate regardless across the board, because it doesn't prevent you from getting, the vaccine does not prevent you from getting and spreading the virus. So the mandate just is antithetical to common sense. But Mm -hmm. when you're now stepping in and saying, oh, no exemptions are allowed, you've just told me point Mm -hmm. blank, you don't care about health at all. So um, they call that. Sorry, sorry to no interrupt. I, I call that I, I call that evil, straight up. I, people don't yeah. like to use that term evil, but that is malicious. That's malicious. If you are forcing someone to do something or you're trying to force someone or coerce someone to do something that you know could harm or kill them, you are not the good guy. Period. Period. Right. Like I don't I don't give leeway on that one. I'm like, no, that's evil. Like especially in that situation you just mentioned, that example, the person got the first shot and right. you know, was like hospitalized or whatever and that, yeah, exactly. I, I I know of these stories. And I'm like, look, if you advocate for that, then you're not on the side of morality. That it's th- it's that simple. It's that simple. Like you're yeah. you're not on the side of good. And and I would, you know, say to people, you know, one thing I have noticed a lot of people that don't care so much about themselves are now looking at their children and they're looking at the vaccine risks. They're looking everything should be a risk benefit analysis. And they're saying, Well, my kid had COVID and wasn't even sick. Why do I need to vaccinate? Or what's going on here? Why are these blanket are they gonna antibody test these kids? You know, if half the the children, the population of children already had this virus and has immunity, why does that not count? So people are starting to ask questions and push back when it comes to their kids. And I would just say, if you can't get in your head to be passionate about freedom and free thinking and these values for yourself, do it for the next generation. Because imagine being in a world where these kids are just going to have to, what are they going to get in line for whatever the government or some corporation decides is best for them? What are they Mm going to go to school and not be able to speak their mind about anything because they're going to be afraid Mm -hmm. that there's going to be some type of consequence, negative consequence for them doing so? They're not going to grow up with backbones. They're not going to know how to stand up for themselves. What types of kids are you going to raise who sit in a room and won't allow someone else who feels differently about the world to vent without wanting to shut them down or cancel them? Mm -hmm. Think about the kind of children that you would be, you know, what kind of world would be around that would, you know, nurture and embrace free thinking individuals? It, it, it's, it's going down the sewer. So that's why I have my little book here. You know, I always hold it up. I hold it up because look at my baby. Look at that baby. Uh, oh my God, I oh. can't. I'm in love with him. But I wrote, it for, I wrote it not just for him. I wrote it for the whole, I wrote it for you. I wrote it for adults everywhere. I wrote it for college kids. But I wrote it for people to kind of shake and be like these values, you know, the American dream. I grew up, I joke, I grew up behind the Staten Island dump. I don't know if you know what that is, but it was a big landfill on Staten Island behind the mall that smelled terrible. I did not grow up with money or fame or fortune. I worked my way up in a country that allows for that opportunity. I want it preserved. I want freedom and all of these values and character and personal responsibility. And I want these preserved for that generation so passionately. And that's not Mm -hmm. to say we're going to be a perfect country because we're not. We're always going to make mistakes. But Mm -hmm. again, when you know better, you do better. But those those values that were part of the fabric that built this country are so important. Um, And I don't want them to go away for my kid, you know, or your kid Mm -hmm. or your niece, nephew, student, whatever, you know. So Absolutely. I can't help uh, but show my baby, Zuby. You know I got to show my baby. Hey, hey, he's, a, he's a he's a handsome guy. He's, he's a, a handsome, handsome little guy. I know. He's gonna cause all so, gonna cause all sorts of trouble in the future. He um, is. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, so much respect for what you said. You you made a point that I've made so many times because one criticism I sometimes get because I can be a little bit like 
I'm pretty blunt with certain things. And I'm just like, look, guys, stop being cowards. Stand up for yourselves. Stand up for your whatever. And people are like, oh, well, it's easy for you to say because you don't have children. And I'm like, if I had children, I would be going harder. You don't understand. like, Because exactly what you just said, what world are my future children going to grow up in? Do I want them to grow up in a world where literally everything you just said, they can't speak their minds they're not allowed to have like basic bodily autonomy and they're they're owned by the government. Maybe they try to institute some one child policy or something because they're afraid of climate change or some nonsense. You right. Coming, um, yeah. Yeah, look, because people don't understand the precedent that is being set with all this. Right. People, what, what, what would stop the government 10 years from now if people allow all of this to continue? I mean, they already are saying what's the best thing you can do for climate change, not have mm-hmm. kids. They're already pushing that agenda. They're mm-hmm. already pushing it, saying that the world is overpopulated. If you then, if they come to a situation where, I mean, this is, it happened in China, right? right. <laughs> like it was That's going right. in China for decades. Exactly. One child policy where the government can say, okay, well, for the greater good and public health and science, we want to sterilize you. Um, or you're only allowed to have one child or two children. Otherwise, we're going to punish you or we're going to do something bad mm-hmm. to you. I mean, it makes me sad that I know for a fact that millions of people in the West would actually support that right now. Mm-hmm. They probably wouldn't admit it, but I already know that's the case. Um, but you, you're you giving up the basic argument that you own the right to your body. And the, it's not the government's business to right. overstep that line. And people are when people are like, oh, it's just this, you know, whether it's it's just two weeks, it's just a mask, it's just a shot, it's just this. I'm like, dude, no, it's not. You Every time you're seeding so much ground and so much liberty and so many rights that you don't need to extrapolate that that far down the line to see where that could potentially end up. So that's why with me personally from day one, look, in terms of the mandates, in terms of the lockdowns, the mask mandates, whatever it was, I was like, no. But on you. No, no, we need to draw. We need to draw a hard line here because, look, disease has existed our entire lives. We've always had disease. We've about 60 million people a year worldwide die, which, by the way, was about the same as last year. Like there wasn't some spike or anything. Um, and so but this whole concept of like a lockdown or right. like a mask mandate. Wait, wait, what? Wait, this is new. Like right, that's the thing. It's like people don't seem to realize like this is this is totally new. Like mm-hmm. we've had flu seasons. We've had um, we've had this. We've had that. Even even SARS, even bird flu, even swine flu. It was never a mask mandate. Lockdown wasn't even considered. It wasn't even on the radar. It wasn't even a consideration. And all of a sudden, all of these terrible things have been normalized. People now think it's normal that the government can tell you, hey, you know what? You're not allowed to go outside. You have to, you have to stay at home. Right. You have to close your business. You can't see your own friends and family. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. Like, that should not be remotely normal in any well, type of free society. And that's the creeping normality, right? They didn't start. Had they come right out of the gate and said, oh, everybody's mandated to get a vaccination, that would not have gone well. So, exactly. or, or businesses with, you know, they didn't come out with that. They started very, very slowly and they made you feel like, oh, well, they're doing what's best for me and it's just a mask. And, you know, they made you feel like, I mean, I, for one, at one point was like, well, if, you know, private businesses want to mandate X, Y, and Z. And now guess what? You have major big corporations not accepting medical exemptions and just saying get vaccinated or get fired. So this stuff creeps Mm -hmm. into society in a very troubling way that at first may seem harmless or may seem short term. Remember, it was three weeks to control the spread. 
I mean, yep. how many, a year and a half later, we're sitting here and they're still saying they're going to mask kids in school. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's outrageous, really, what's going on. And like we said, it doesn't revisit facts. Like, yes, we do have more data now, but it, it doesn't seem to matter. Data on vaccines, mm -hmm. data on masks. Where is this being applied to actually change poor and effective policy? I don't see it happening. I think the key point here is that people who are advocating for freedom are advocating for everyone. You know, we're mm -hmm. advocating for everyone. We're advocating, as we said, for people who don't see things the way that we do. We're advocating sure. for people who may want to live lives very differently than we do. No one advocating for freedom is saying you can't wear a mask and you can't get a vaccine. No, exactly. we're saying do what you want for your body. I'm also not going to pull pizza, pepperoni pizza out of anyone's mouth or which can be quite good. <laughs> I'm not I'm not in that business of telling people how to run their lives. And I think that people should always consider it just because you agree with the with the trend of big government and big control on this issue. Maybe on this issue, you're like, yeah, I'm all in. I want my whole family vaccinated. I want everybody vaccinated. Great. Well, what does that look like when the next issue arises and it's something that you don't like that's now being forced exactly. upon you? What happens then? Guess what? Those people are going to rely on people like me and you to come to their defense because we will, mm -hmm. because we are you know, unilaterally across the board advocating for freedom and saying, mm -hmm. again, do as you wish. So they need to realize. And also, I'll just you know, add this one point is that you know, look at who's governing throughout these things. And you have such a powerful voice throughout this country in your vote. You know, don't elect people like Bill de Blasio. Don't keep electing the same people. Gavin Newsom, it's like, <laughs> now do I have to worry that all of those people that fled California went to Texas and now I'm going to go there and they're going to vote in the same garbage over there that existed in California? I hope not. I hope you learn that the reason you fled was because those policies were sinking your city and your state. So that's another lesson I hope people get out of it. Um, but the main lesson is just stop turning against, like, it's almost like the people who are fighting for you are the ones that you're turning against. Recognize mm -hmm. what's happening here. We're just arguing for you to control your own fate, your own destiny, your own body, your own life. Exactly. Jed, tell us a little bit more about the book. Yes. So, dear Hartley, I have to show the baby again. Woo! He's so handsome. <laughs> All right. I am one of those mothers. I always said I'm not going to be that mother. And now I'm like, my baby's the cutest baby on are. the planet. Yeah, it's it's a series of letters that I wrote um, to Hartley, but not just to Hartley, who's now almost two years old, but to the whole next generation and for all of us. Like I said, this is something that will appeal to college students, to teachers, to aunts, to uncles, to parents, grandparents. And it's about values. It's a value-based book. Um, it, each chapter tells individual stories about my life, about mistakes that I've made, things that I've done and said on camera that I wish I had done differently, things that went on behind the scenes that no one knows about that I'm mortified that I've shared in this book. I'll be hiding during the <laughs> release week. But um, things that I wanted my child to know that could anchor him through these really difficult times, you know, some of those values being character and independent free mm -hmm. thinking and patriotism and what does that mean? And, and um, not everyone should get a trophy. And why, if everyone gets a trophy, no one gets a trophy. And building a backbone in children and family and the importance mm -hmm. of family and what happens when family doesn't exist and diversity of thought and education, all of these topics um, lace through the book. And like I said, every chapter, and some of them are funny, like how I don't know how to fold a fitted sheet. And maybe he doesn't need to worry about that in life. There's a lot of humor I hope people will get a kick out of. Um, 
but I really just wanted to get people thinking and talking the way we are right now and asking questions and wanting the next generation to have the power to be free, to be mm. who they want to be, to grow up and, and make their impact on the world and to govern their own lives. Um, nothing is more important to me than that. And I talk a lot about wellness. I know you're really into wellness about my acid reflux and my Lyme disease and what those journeys look like and how I fix them, um, mm. which was not via a one size fits all approach, which was something that was unique and particular to my body that may not have worked for you or someone else because we're all in different bodies. So there's a lot, even though I didn't write this book to be a political book or a, and it's not, it, it, it's much more value-based. It really fits the times and it's really the book for them for this moment that we're in right mm -hmm. now. Um, so think about the children in your lives and yourself. There's a lot about heartbreak and romance and lessons learned. Like I said, mistakes made. There's a lot of mistakes, Zuby. <laughs> ah! But it's a good it's a good read. And I hope people will love it as much as I love it. This is my baby, so I'm hopeful. Awesome. <laughs> well, I look forward to checking out the book. And Jedediah, where can people find you online? So I'm at Jedediah Bila on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, I think I'm on TikTok, but my TikTok's not very good. So don't worry about that. And you can get the book anywhere. Books are sold, Amazon, Books a Million, all over the place, Barnes and Noble. Um, book tour is going to be a little unique because I'm not allowed on a lot of TV sets right now because I don't have a vaccine card, despite my immunity and my exemption that's been denied. So it's going to be oh a little gosh. challenging to get this, the publicity that it deserves, but my health comes first and my freedom comes first mm. above all else. That is the, the most important. How could I how could I write this book and send that message to my child and cave on anything mm. like that? So <laughs> I will be standing firm and we'll get it out there. Freedom lovers will, will give it the time it deserves. So don't worry. No doubt. Jedediah, I love what you're doing. Massive respect for everything you're standing for. I think you're a very inspiring woman. And I hope everyone who has listened can take some important lessons from this podcast. Thank you so much, Subi. It's been a pleasure to be here with you today. 100%. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a pain, click and I bang, y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.